Hello? Welcome. This is Flames of the Two Cities. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. All right. Well, you, okay. You go first. Okay. Am I introducing it or are you introducing because I'm going first? I feel like that's what I'm going to do. You're going to introduce it? Okay. I'm just going to be like, hey, you go first. Okay. That, that's, that's it. That's the recording. Should, shouldn't you say like, hi guys, today no. we're going to talk about... No. Hey, Nikki. Sup, Ellie? You go first. Okay, great. So today, guys, we're going to talk about curses. And curses are prominent in urban legends, so I found a few interesting ones in the state of Oregon. In Lafayette, Oregon, first, there is the Lafayette Witch. The curse is said to have been... Oh my god! I have a witch, too! (laughs) I have a witch, too, girl! Oh, sick! This is awesome! (laughs) (sighs) Okay. So, first, there's the Lafayette Witch. The curse is said to have been cast in the 1800s when a woman was accused of witchcraft and she cursed the whole town. Women are often accused of witchcraft, and it's predominantly for social, political, or economic reasons rather than actually practicing witchcraft. So it's important to acknowledge that witch was used as a derogatory term because society was predominantly Christian. So witchcraft or paganism was seen as a negative thing, but it's actually a religion that's typically based in nature and has a priority on dualism. So all religious figures, if there is a man, there's a woman that is an equal. But... In the olden days, witchcraft was nonsense, and they were not cool with it. So when a woman was accused of witchcraft, they were often subject to horrid or even fatal tests to prove or disprove their use of magic. In Lafayette, women were tortured until they confessed, and then once they confessed, they were hung because they had been found guilty. So the woman, who remains anonymous, is said to haunt Lafayette, and especially the cemetery. Several restless spirits are reported to haunt the cemetery, one of which was the Lafayette witch. Visitors have reported seeing the witch, and others have caught her voice on EVP saying, run home. Oh, God. That's scary. (laughs) No. Even worse, other people have claimed to have been chased out of the cemetery, leaving with deep cuts on their back, like someone is chasing behind them and scratching at them as as they're being told to run home. I have uh, deep bruises on my back, but that's because I went to acupuncture. So, I got a massage today. Maybe I'll be covered in bruises, too. Oh, awesome. How was it? It was amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> 90 minutes of magic. Oh, okay. Um, others say before the witch was hanged, she confessed her witchcraft in the most profound way by placing a curse on the town. So saying that the city would burn down three times. And since her curse, the town has burned down twice. So maybe the curse has some validity. Um, I looked into it, and an author, S. King, set the record straight. So according to King, it was actually a gypsy curse rather than one inflicted by a witch. Mm. Um, And King traces the criminal to Richard Marple in 1887, who murdered a local store merchant. He was hung in town, and when the trapdoor released, the knot in the noose slipped under his chin. So rather than breaking his neck, the noose slowly strangled him. Oh, God. Witnesses said it took 18 minutes for him to be pronounced dead by the medical examiner. That always freaks me out because it's like, okay, I know there was always witnesses when it comes to, um, when it comes to, uh, uh, like hangings. But like, I, first off, the concept of anyone watching someone get hung is barbaric to, to the, to say the least. But like, 
if someone's noose like didn't work, like how can you be like, well, Jerry's been there for a long time. I guess I can't help him. Like, how can you physically not like just spend 18 minutes just watching this person die instead of ending it for them? It's yeah. It's barbaric. I just don't get it. It's fucking weird. So witnesses said it took 18 minutes for Marple to be pronounced dead by the medical examiner. He was writhing in pain for much of it. His mother was a reported gypsy and suspected to be an accomplice to Marple's crime. Anna Marple screamed out a curse on the town. She supposedly predicted three fires, and the third was supposed to burn down the town. King traces the first fire following the curse to the June of 1895, where a fire burned down a store, a tin shop, a grocery store, a doctor's office, and two other buildings. Then in 1897, a second fire was reported by a newspaper in the Dells, in which a post office, butcher shop, drugstore, and a candy store was burned. Which, I'm sorry, I have to take a moment. The candy store burned down. Oh, God. All that right. is let's, tragic. Let's take a moment of silence for the fact that the candy store burned down. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, in 1898, another report um, said that a mill and, a mi- and an elevator in the mill with 500 bushels of wheat burned down. So this would have been the fire, the third, that was supposed to burn down the entire town. But it wasn't substantial enough to end the threat of the curse. So in 1904, the town's most destructive fire destroyed 16 buildings in total. And the Dayton Herald reported, quote, A few minutes later, the fire leaked across the main street to a building owned by H.D. Begun. Their goods were carried out by willing hands, men, women, boys, and girls of all sizes and ages, all working like beavers and scattered around in places of safety for several blocks north and west of the fire zone. I have a question. I have an answer. All right. So during this time of the fire, did someone say, hey, uh, Mr. HG, a fire's just happened. And he's like, no, we've only just begun. (laughs) Um, I don't, I cannot confirm nor deny this report. All right, cool. (laughs) (laughs) So you would think that this would be the fire to end the curse, but in 1914, there was another fire which perpetuated it. Two fires happened within hours of each other, and the cause was believed to be arson. So maybe people just decided this wasn't good enough to fit the curse. Mm. So there was another fire in 1928, but there was little information that exists on it. And some citizens recorded a fire with photos, but the damage wasn't recorded and the photos didn't really tell what happened. So the town's most destructive fire was in 1857, which burned down the town's first courthouse, but that was years before the curse. So it's hard to say whether or not the curse is real. But King reported that the county historian Jim Lockett believes the curse was actually, quote, wood construction, wood-fired cooking stoves, kerosene lamps, and well-oiled floors with little understanding of fire safety. So the reality is that most towns that were built in the 1800s or before have fires in in the past. And we've said this before, wood buildings and sidewalks (laughs) make fires common. Um, 1800s, everyone learned what fire was and they decided to burn everything down. (laughs) Or (laughs) stupidly didn't recognize that fire actually burns things down. Yeah. Like, oh, it's pretty city burns down yeah um so without technology we have today like fire sprinklers hydrants smoke detectors and fire hoses it was more difficult to detect and put out larger fires so it was very common in oregon especially to burn um and even in the state's capital salem burned down in 1855 in 1953 a newspaper article in the new register reported on the gypsy curse as three more fires had occurred in that time 
Many people believed that this would end when the hanging tree was uprooted and destroyed in 1921, but it didn't obviously lay the curse to rest. So in the stories, it was both a witch and a gypsy, both of which were women who have been historically accused of being these negative things. Um, Marple, the man who was hanged, was a real person. So that part we know is true. And his hanging is true because it's part of public record. But there wasn't a witch. So the witch of Lafayette that chases people in the cemetery isn't real. His mother, Anna, was also reported to be a gypsy. She wasn't a witch, but a gypsy. And gypsy is a derogatory term used to describe Romani people. Romani people often practice fortune telling, which perpetuates this idea that they're um, somehow connected to the supernatural, which continues to perpetuate this idea that women in power in some way or another, like pagans, where you have equality among the gods and goddesses, or Romani people, where women have more power because they're telling fortunes. Of course, they have to be evil and somehow bad. So Anna was described as a gypsy likely because she held the reputation of a wanderer. So other things that the curse itself may have been caused by the accusation of her being a gypsy. Also, Anna could not be haunting the cemetery because after the hanging of her son, she moved to Jacksonville, Oregon, where she died on March 11, 1916 of liver cancer, and she was buried there. So... While the idea of the Lafayette witch is really interesting, the fact that there's like almost no recorded history of a witch kind of immediately rules out the witch idea. And then you have the hanging of Marple, which we know is true, but his mother was accused of being a gypsy and there's no record of that. And she can't be the witch because she was buried somewhere else. Interesting, but also seems like it's pretty unlikely considering how many fires were there and the fact that the town still exists. So I feel like this is a common theme that we're going to go over. (laughs) Okay, Um, so I have a couple um, from Eugene. I spoke to a friend of mine who shared some curses that she had heard when she first moved here. And she told me that um, she had heard from a woman that the reason that Eugene has so many troubles, especially with air, because if you live in the Willamette Valley, you know that right now is essentially the time of the year where everyone wants to die. Mm. If you look at a pollen map, we are the giant red spot oh God. in the entire country. Oh God. Um, the rest of the country is like, you know, that nice green or yellow. Maybe it's a little high. The Willamette Valley is death. There is pollen floating everywhere. Your car is covered in it. People are wearing masks. Everyone looks like they're crying or really stoned because our eyes are exploding with tears. Mm. Um, so, you know, a lot of people recognize that air can be a problem in Eugene. Um, that's just my little wine for the week because I'm dying of allergies. Oh um, God, that's me. That's me in a nutshell. So <laughs> I agree. <laughs> that's- um, so the idea that Eugene had so many troubles was linked to native people who had occupied the land prior to white settlers. And it was that they had laid a giant glyph somewhere near 11th and Willamette. So if you are a listener in Eugene, you know exactly where that is. If you don't, it's semi-near campus, kind of near downtown. If you drew a triangle between downtown and campus, that's kind of where it is. Um, So if they couldn't live here, no one could. That's what the glyph is supposed to have been. And my friend hasn't heard anything else about this, so it hasn't been confirmed, but it's an interesting thought. But she also told me um, that Eugene used to be a witch's mecca, and in the 1990s, there was a huge falling out in the community. 
Eugene was a hub for the pagan community and the shaman community, and they lived peacefully in coexistence despite their differences. But then a small group began to practice neo-shamanism, which incorporates both shamanism and paganism. Oh, which I thought it was like stir. incorporates uh, the Matrix and shamanism. But I'm a yeah, um, um, listener. If you enjoyed that joke, please leave a message on our iTunes. Guys, she's here all week. I'm here all week editing this episode. <laughs> and then you can download episodes one and two for more Ellie jokes. Oh yes. <laughs> all right. Um. So. Neo-shamanism, which incorporates both shamanism and paganism, and it causes stir and spells and curses were thrown in a response. So this became known as the Witch Wars, and much of the community ended up moving to the Bay Area in response to the conflict. So other people may have secluded themselves, and some believe that the spells and curses actually are lingering in Eugene after this witch war. I don't, I mean, like, all, I honestly, once you said witch war, all I was thinking about was, like, West Side Story, but with, like, witches. (laughs) So I'm just like, I had an image of like everyone in like pointy hats, just kind of going like, <laughs> if you didn't hear that, that was me snapping my fingers and trying to do a jazzy dance in a closet. Great. As, as someone who can see her right now via Skype. Yeah. I want you all to know that it was wonderful. Oh girl, you're making me blush. <laughs> Not really. She's lying to you. I can see her. Um, oh, God. You found my faults. <laughs> so the most substantial uh, curse that I found anything about was Crater Lake, which I thought was really interesting. I had never heard anything about Crater Lake being haunted. So I found this article by Brent Swanser that tells of a curse on Crater Lake. Crater Lake National Park is in Klamath County, which is in southern Oregon, and it's a beautiful place. The deep blue is unreal, and it's truly indescribable. You have to see it to understand it. You can talk about it, but people never really get it until you're there. It's kind of like the Grand Canyon. Crater Lake covers 21 square miles and reaches depths of 1,949 feet, making it the deepest lake in the United States and the third deepest in the world. Crater Lake lies in Mount Mazama, a dorma volcano that last erupted 5,700 B.C., So the native Klamath people have long held cultural attachments to the place. According to Klamath legend, Crater Lake is the result of an epic battle between two spirits that lived on Mount Mazama in Oregon and Mount Shasta in California. Both are volcanoes. Okay, so I'm going to apologize to any Klamath people or native people in general. I am an ignorant white person and I will likely say all of these names wrong. Lalau, the evil spirit, lived on Mount Mazama and was the enemy of Skell, the benevolent spirit who lived on Mount Shasta in California. So the two had fought many times before, but it was the most intense battle that the two great spirits, which caused the earth to shake and rupture as fire and rocks were thrown at each other for days. The land and sky were filled with a fiery black ash and smoke. Skell defeated Lau and banished the spirit to the underworld, which collapsed Mount Mazama and created Crater Lake, imprisoning the evil spirit to the underworld forever. Lau's head is said to be visible in one of the lake's island, and Wizard Island is believed to be where wicked souls were banished. Skell filled crater, the crater of Mount Mazama with stunning blue water to symbolize peace through the land. The lake has since been seen as a crossroads between darkness and light, the below world and the above world, and it's believed to be unwise to stare at the lake too long as it's believed to trap people and channel sorrow and dread. Oh. It's even been said to lure people to its death. Oh. So this is all background for the variety of stories that I'm going to tell you about all of the weird shit that has happened at Crater Lake. And I've been to Crater Lake twice now, and 
It's beautiful, and I guarantee that I'm likely to go back, but after hearing all of these things, I'm a little terrified of it. I mean, it's a great excuse for people that don't want to exercise. Like, if someone's like, hey, do you want to go to Crater Lake? You're like, no, I'm sorry. I just don't want to get my soul sucked in by, like, an, like you know, hell and shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, oh, my God, no, I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I can't go. I'm too sorrowful, and it'll pull me in. Yeah. Okay, so White Man's first encounter of Crater Lake happened during a mission to find a lost mine, which was supposedly filled with gold. John Weasley Hillman, Henry Klippel, and Isaac Skeeters moved to the uncharted forest of Mount Mazama and became lost. Hillman encountered Skeeters and claimed to have found the cabin that they were looking for, a stash of gold, and a map to the mines. As they headed toward the cabin, Hillman's horse lost its footing and fell off of a cliff. Both of them fell to their death. Oh. The group never found the mysterious cabin, and the lost mine has still never been found. Oh. But it's not the only disappearance associated with Crater Lake. Crater Lake is known for strange deaths and mysterious disappearances during the first settlement by white pioneers. In 1911, during the winter, B.B. Bukowski, which I'm going to go on record as saying I think is the coolest name. Um, yes, uh, listener, if you're thinking about what to name my child, try Your B.B. Child? Yeah, my child. Listener, <laughs> you're allowed to have my child. <laughs> Listener, you are allowed to name Ellie's unborn children. Yes. One egg at a time. Okay. B.B. Yes. Um, Bukowski went to take pictures of the lake, and he was well prepared and had set up a snow cave to wait out a serious blizzard. When the blizzard passed, Bukowski was nowhere to be found, and the search team found his sled, but his body has still never been found. Oh, God. Um, there seems to be a theme with photographers. So there was another photographer, Charles McCuller, who went missing after his adventurous journey to Crater Lake. He hitchhiked across the country in order to keep a photographic journal of his travels, and in January 1975, he was staying with a friend in Oregon. So he decided to take the opportunity to get a few photos of Crater Lake in the winter. His friend thought nothing of it, and when he said he would be back in a few hours, but it was the last time that anyone saw him alive. After a week with no sign of McCuller, a search was launched, and it grew. It quickly grew to include the FBI. Deep snowdrifts were complicating the search. The search continued throughout the summer, but no trace of McCuller. It wasn't until October of 1976 that a pair of hikers found a torn-up backpack 12 miles from where Charles had camped, which led to the discovery of his body. Oh. But it, but it doesn't end there. Upon examination, his jeans seems to be in remarkably good condition despite exposure to the elements for nearly two years. There was no shirt, no coat, or boots found, and within his socks were just broken toe bones. Oh. And in his pants were just broken shin bones. Oh. So, and his belt was unbuckled and pants unbuttoned as if he decided to take off his pants in the frigid cold. And I had heard before, this is a plug, but completely unsolicited, uh, Astonishing Legends, a great podcast that does really cool stuff. I had listened to a podcast that they did, and there was an incident in Russia with a hiking date group. to love pass. Yes. Or whatever. Yes. I can't say it right, but date to love It's like diet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they, they um, found all of these bodies where people were in various states of undress. And it's likely because as the body reacts to cold, it feels extremely hot. Your nerves can't process whether it's hot or cold. And you just end up in pain. So it's very common for people that are freezing to death to want to rip off all their clothes. So that might be what happened. Beside the toe bones and the shin bones, the rest of the body was gone. 12 feet away 
the crown of a skull and some tiny bone fragments were also found. So no other remains were found of his body or his stuff. It remains unknown how he would have walked 12 miles from his camp in the deep snowdrifts and how his body ended up in such an odd state. On the record, his death was listed as natural causes, and animals are suspected to have caused the strange arrangement of his body. Others have also gone missing. Nick Carlino disappeared after snowshoeing with his German shepherd. The dog returned, but he did not, and no trace of him was ever found. So they found footprints, and then he traced those to the edge of a lake, but he likely fell a thousand feet to his death and boats dredged the bottom of the lake and divers went searching but no trace of his body or belongings were ever found so all they found were his footprints and his dog returned home but he never did Mm. and in October of 1991 Glenn Allen Mackey went missing his car was found with his driver's license keys and passport and cash but he wasn't found in 2014 a man spoke with a ranger and was then seen scrambling down the caldera wall When the ranger went to go stop the man, he could find nothing but his sunglasses. Suicides are also common at Crater Lake. In July of 1947, a man by the name of Mr. Cornelius was hiking with his wife. And I'm going to tell you that this is probably the most terrifying story of all of these stories, at least for me. So the two seemed happy and nothing was out of the ordinary until Mr. Cornelius handed his wife his wallet and without a word, slid over the edge of a snowbank into the lake. Wait, what? Yes. He just handed his wife his wallet and then slid down a snowbank into the lake. It gets weirder. Oh, God. It gets weirder, okay? Um, He survived with just a broken leg, but then staggered to stand and moved to the lake's edge where he drowned himself as his wife watched. What? (laughs) Yeah. Wait, what? And then his wife later explained, right? The wife later explained that she felt like she was in a trance-like state and couldn't help. She just watched it happen. Well, I feel like I would be in a translate state too, though. Like, I, 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 I don't know. I feel like from my experience in like moments of like, what? <laughs> you know, you're just kind of like, I don't, you yeah. just don't know how to She's handle paralyzed. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, others have hiked into the woods and shot themselves. Oh. And a few people have hurled themselves at the rim. And in most cases, these individuals have been described as content, well-adjusted people who are not suicide risks. So there's something about the lake that, like, compels these people. Yeah. So there also are peculiar deaths. Dozens of deaths have been accidental, caused by falling into the caldera in places that seem impossible to fall into it. Rangers have been puzzled as to how someone could actually lean out far enough to fall, almost as if someone had pushed them in some cases. One man fell from a rocky balcony overlooking the lake despite high and difficult rail that he had to apparently climb. In another instance, a couple had parked near the edge only to have their parking brake fail and the car rolled into the lake. The couple's dog escaped through their sunroof, though the car and the couple was smashed at the bottom of the caldera. I'm glad the dog lived. Me too. I'm glad that the dogs always live. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, if the dog dies, then it's a tragedy. Yes, it's true. In 1956, a photographer fell to his death when a phantom ship appeared on the lake's waters, and even today, despite... Wait, what? <laughs> Hold on, what? A phantom ship appeared on the waters. In 1956, a photographer fell to his death when a phantom ship appeared on the lake's waters. Okay, like, did anyone know what happened with said ship? Like... It was a phantom. I, I. It was anyone shit, else Ellie. there? That's how we know it's a phantom ship. Oh, okay. People saw this phantom ship, and then this photographer died trying to take a picture. Oh god. And even today, 
Despite warning signs and fences, several people die each year. Oh. But there is more. Okay. Crater Lake is full of mysteries. There's a lot of instances of aircrafts mysteriously going down near Crater Lake. So since What? So, since there was an airbase built in Klamath Falls, many incidents have occurred. In 1944, two torpedo planes were flying in formation, only for one pilot to look back and realize that the other plane was simply gone. It was later determined to have crashed into the lake and sunk to the bottom, despite clear conditions and no mechanical problems. Oh, God! Later, in 1944, a plane trainer and his gunner flew off to the north of the lake and were never seen again. Uh-huh. Mend the plane and any wreckage was never found. Okay. In 1945, seven Hellcat fighter planes were on their way to Washington from Redding. So if you're looking at the West Coast, Redding is Northern California, then you have Oregon and then Washington. So they're flying right over Oregon. And they entered clouds over Crater Lake. And when they came out of the clouds, one of the planes was missing. It wasn't until 1970 when a seasonal park ranger named Dave Painbaker reported spotting wreckage of a blue Hellcat fighter plane. And it was scattered between trees on an embankment. But he went to investigate and he got lost. So he sits down and he feels this profound feeling of being watched. When he turns around to look, he sees a human skull peeking out from under a mossy log. And of course, the skull was identified as the 22-year-old Frank Lupo, who was the pilot who had gone missing in 1945. Oh, God. Yeah, so there was a lot of plane crashes that were common in the 1940s, and the Army Air Base in Klamath Falls estimates that there were two or three a week that crashed in or around two the lake. Two or three a week? No one knows how to fly a plane! Or Crater Lake is sucking them in to die! Yeah! So Swansart also reports other cases such as in August of 1978, when Dave Nunn boarded his Cessna 182 with his daughter and grandchild to fly them back to Salem. They were joined by two teenage pilots, and the flight to Salem went flawlessly, and after he dropped off the two kids, the student pilots headed back to Klamath Falls. That night, Dave's wife, Jean, was awoken at 9.30 by a sensation of her hand, a hand on her leg, despite nobody being there. Mm. She then learned that her husband's plane had disappeared off radar at exactly 9.30. Aww. After that's sweet. A search for the missing plane turned up no trace. On July 5th, 1982, seven years later, a hiker came across the crashed plane with three skeletal bodies inside. The bodies were identified as the missing men, but even stranger, a note was found that read, quote, Lose not thine airspeed, lest the ground rise up and smite thee. That's like, that's taking some time about your last words, <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> like, you're, like, prepared. You're like, I need to write some, like, words like thee, smite. Uh, yep. God. So, in September 1994, a helicopter piloted by George W. Cowsey, I could oh. be saying that wrong, was en route from Seattle to Las Vegas when it went down over Crater Lake. It skidded across the surface in front of several rangers and plunged 1,500 feet into the lake near Wizard Island. The weather was calm, pilot was experienced, there was no engine problems, and nothing turned up unusual upon inspection. Authorities speculated that the clear blue water must have reflected and the pilot must have misjudged the water for sky. 
So maybe that's what? why all the things are flying or dying. Like he's like, oh, look, there's sky. Let's go down. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, um, that's suspicious. So um, it's also reported that mysterious lights and fire have been seen on Wizard Island, but no smoke or evidence of the fire have ever been found. Native people believe these lights are the spirit of the island and claim the water around the island is the realm of the spirits that look like dragons. Some people have reported seeing large ripples or splashes on the surface. Maddie Hatcher reported a close encounter with a huge beast when a large black shape swam under her boat while on the lake with her family. She said, quote, I have never been so scared in my life. What we saw that day was a monster. To me, it looked like a dragon. I know why Indians call that place Lost Lake. They say monsters live in it. I believe them. I know because I saw one there. Mm. So it also has some, like, Nessie dragon weird lore. But it's important to recognize that a large lake monster would be unlikely as there's no waters flowing in or out of the lake. There's no natural fish, only descendants of stocked fish that were there from 1888 to 1941. Mm. Whatever creatures they are, they're not alone because there are many reports of Bigfoot, too. Oh, God, Nessie and Bigfoot. It's like a family. Same damn place, man. Rangers described a huge beast with dark hair and a foul smell. They were forced to turn back after chasing it because it was throwing pine cones at them violently. Oh. There have also been two accounts of actual dead Bigfoot at Crater Lake. In one case, Sasquatch was allegedly hit by a car and killed, but secretive government agents came to take away the body, which seems likely yeah um also um, speaking of that we're being sponsored by toyota if you're ever in uh if you're <laughs> ever being attacked by bigfoot let us know toyota will stop them buy a prius they're great yeah um, they will stop bigfoot in another case a train crashed into bigfoot but the conductors were too terrified to report the incident because they had been drinking on the job oh but in both cases <laughs> there's a lack of a body so it makes it really difficult to believe yeah and here's the last part. There's more, Ellie. All right, I'm ready. UFOs have also <gasps> been spotted. Oh, yes! Yes, yes, yes! In February 1997, a pilot claimed to see a military jet chasing a UFO over the lake. There was a reported boom, a sound so loud it could be heard across western Oregon. Other UFOs have been witnessed flying in formation, hovering over the tree line, and entering and exiting the water. The 1960s was the time for the occult. Um, Like most religions in Los Angeles, the occult or things related to the the occult was a popular form of like faith or faiths that were supposedly celebrated by people like Jane Mansfield and Charles Manson. Mm -hmm. In 1968, Louise Hubner casted a spell on the Hollywood Bowl to increase the, quote, sexual vitality of the county of Los Angeles, end quote. Yes. For those that do not know who Louise Hubner was, she was an American author of occult books, an astrologer, and was 
declared the official witch of Los Angeles County. Hubner claimed that she was a descendant of witches, and she started her career at 10 years old, giving psychic readings to, um, at children's fairs. She All got right. her fame through the radio uh, through radio shows, and eventually she moved to talk shows like Johnny Carson. The Department of Los Angeles was promoting the Hollywood Bowl, and they asked her to perform a spell. After which she was declared the official witch of Los Angeles. In the mid 1800s, curses must have been a really cool thing, because the founder of the Money Yan Institute, Money Yan Institute, I have no idea what that Money? is. Money Yan, William it spell? Money. It's spelled like Money Ann. Oh, yeah. Money um, yeah, so basically, uh, the founder of the Munyan Institute, William Money, placed a curse on Los Angeles for it to fall into the ocean after the newspaper refused to print some of his apocalyptic predictions. There was also a rumor that Valen- uh, Rudolph Valentino's ring is cursed. After he died, a quote-unquote lover because I have no idea what sort of lover this article was referring to, um, that received the ring, became gravely ill, so that she or he, I don't know who this lover is still, gave it to a friend who was shot to death a few days later. Another owner of said ring was hit by a truck and a burglar was shot and killed by a cop during a burglary attempt of said ring. And like all curses of items, this supposed ring is now missing. That's also from Blumhouse Magazine, so whatever. (laughs) I I also was doing uh, some articles, recent articles, and I found out if you're ever hit with a curse, you can get quote-unquote Cauldron Kitty to remove it for $289. She accepts a MasterCard or Visa. Wait, wait. The low, low price of $289. It's the low, low price of $289. She's not sponsoring us, by the way. I just want to let everyone know she is not sponsoring us. Um, if you want uh, to connect to her, her email is www.cauldronkitty.com slash curse hyphen removal hyphen service dot html. However, I warn you about uh, watching how much you want to pay to get your curse removed. Because in 2013, a woman named Clarissa Castro sued Jennifer Williams for failing to lift a curse on her. Castro spent... How much do you think she spent? Ten grand. Close. Eleven thousand dollars! I am so close! So close! Eleven thousand dollars to get a curse that was restricting her from, quote, true meaningful loving relationships in her life over the course of a couple of years once she realized that the curse removal didn't work she sued William so those were those were the smaller curses that I could find can we just pause for a second and say that is the most LA thing that I have ever heard seriously it's I'm gonna sue you because you didn't lift the curse it's so like annoying and funny. It just makes me laugh. Um, but those were the smaller curses. Okay. And give me, the, give me the big bad boy. Yes, this is the big bad boy. It all started 
1863. Yeah. Rancho Don Jose Vincente Feliz, the owner of the 4,210-acre land and the member of the 1775 to 1776 Anza Expedition, which had brought uh, the first settlers into California, had died. And the plot that was expected to go to his sister, Soledad, and her blind daughter, Donna Petranila. I'm sorry if I butchered that. Um, we both know you did. Yes. Went to Don Cornell. Felice was one of the four soldiers which guarded the settlers, which founded the settlement of El Pueblo De Nuestra Señora Laurena de Los Angeles, or the town of Our Lady of the Queen of the Angels, or Los Angeles. Nailed it. Yes. Um, That's actually the real name of Los Angeles. It's just we shortened it down to Los Angeles. Oh, yes. Americans, English is just uh, Americans and the English language in general are the laziest things in the world. Don Antonio Coronel was a politician during the time when Mexico transitioned into the United States. And he served as the fourth mayor of Los Angeles from 1853 to 1854. Right. So back to the original story. While Rancho... uh, Felice was deteriorating with smallpox. Don Coronel came with his lawyer, Don Inocante. And Everyone was named Don. Yeah, well, Don is like... Um, like Sir, gentleman. Like, it's like uh, Duke or whatever. I, I know that, but also I just want Don Draper to be part of the story. I'm oh, and Don Draper Don, was behind... <laughs> John Hamm, if you're listening, because of course you are. Um... <laughs> I am in love with Don Draper. Not yeah. you, John Ham. Don Draper. Yeah, jo- John Ham. We don't give a shit about you, but <laughs> Don Draper. I mean, maybe what's up, cool. babe? <laughs> what's up, babe? <laughs> Literally, I think Don Draper is the epitome of a babe. Yes. Right. John Ham, thank you for embodying that character. I'm sure you're great. But you will never be Dick Whitman. Yeah, you'll never be a dick. Uh, what? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so back to what I was saying. Don Antonio Coronel came with his lawyer, Don Inocante, and they drew up a will for Rancho to sign. Now the stories say that the two men strapped a stick to the back of Rancho Feliz or Don Feliz's head so that he would nod in agreement to the new will. These stories were completely backed by several ranch workers who were able to see the exchange through the courtyard and into the house or whatever. Even though some of the items went to Soledad and her relatives, the land went to Don Coronel, and the sister and the niece were truly cast aside into the cold. The family did sue to contest the will, but the court held it in Don Coronel's favor. <sighs> Los Angeles is so litigious. It is. It is. Donna, okay, so Donna Petralnila, or just Donna, I'm just going to say it that 
you know, give her. We all know her as Donna, guys. I mean, we're all good friends here. We're all friends. Donna right? was pissed. Oh. You know why she was pissed? She had lost 4,210 acres. I would have been too. She had lost <laughs> 4,210 acres and was given what? A nice mirror? In response to the clear bullshit that uh, she was given, uh, Miss Petronilla laid a curse on whoever owned the land, Don Coronel, Don Inocante, and even the judge that sided with Coronel. While some might scoff at the idea of the curse's validity, the historical facts might question that ridicule. First victim or sacrifice of the Griffith Park curse would have been Donna herself. She was the first to drop dead. Afterwards, the lawyer, Don Inocante, was shot and killed. Next was the judge, and then Don, next was the judge, and then Don Coronel's family, who slowly died of hardship and illness. When the perpetrator of the whole calamity, Don Coronel, died, he left his land to his wife, who later remarried. Their marriage didn't last long, and they both fought over the land, which went straight to the lawyers due to the lawyers' fees and such. Wait, can we just uh, also, very L.A., They were like the first Hollywood it couple. Yeah, they were basically the Brad and Angelina of uh, 1800s. Was it a conscious uncoupling? I have no idea. (laughs) I didn't research this. Was it irreconcilable differences? I have no idea. I didn't research this. Conscious uncoupling was uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and and Chris Coldplay, dude. Chris Chris Coldplay. Yeah. Chris (laughs) Coldplay. Um... (laughs) They, there was the thing they were not getting divorced they were consciously uncoupling oh, okay. and um every hollywood actor actress breakup it's always irreconcilable differences yeah, like that is every time because like literally everyone gets married a week after they meet each other <laughs> or it's you like, know because they're in a movie together and then they're like eh, publicity's over let's get a divorce yeah seriously So, in 1968, C.V. Howard, who owned part of the land, was shot in a saloon celebrating the fortune of selling some of the land's water rights. The land went to, ironically, Leon Lucky Baldwin, who bought the land to start a ranch and a dairy farm on the property. What do you think happened? Bad stuff. Yes, exactly. All the cattle died. Fires on the land destroyed all of the grain. Grasshoppers basically devoured the rest of the crops. And he went bankrupt and had to sell the land. Afterwards, either Mexican bandits or an outlaw gunned him down and he was shot dead. Bye. Bye. Um, the land went to Thomas Bell, a San Francisco financer who sold it to uh, Griffith J. Griffith. Bell fell from his mansion's banister. However, some sources say that he was pushed by a mistress. Griffith J. Griffith was a well-known silver or and gold miner. Basically, Griffith Park is named after Griffith J. Griffith. Right? I knew that. Yes. Griffith started an ostrich farm on the property to, for tourism. In 1884, a storm hit the land and an oak tree. This is like from a source. It, not a source. This is like very supposedly. I've heard this too, though. So keep going. All right. So a storm hit the land and an oak tree was hit several times by lightning. And we all know lightning doesn't hit the same place twice. Right. The ranch hands of that land claimed to see Don 
Antonio Feliz riding a horse in the rain and laughing hysterically. Supposedly, Feliz continued to haunt the land after the storm, mostly around an area called Bee Rock. Needless to say, Griffith refused to visit the land except at midday. Stories said that the ostriches stampeded at night, alluding to a fear of some unknown Mexican ghost. I don't know, Nikki. You could still hike to that hiking trail of Bee Rock. It's right behind the old LA Zoo. Um, Bunch of people have killed themselves there. What? Is really? that in my room right here? Yeah. I didn't know this. No, okay, we'll talk about it at the end. Okay. Griffith closed the ostrich farm, which caused the ostrich farmer, Frank Burkett, to issue revenge. He attempted to gun down Griffith outside the old Calvary Cemetery, which is now Cathedral High School. And... But he used a birdshot instead of a buckshot. I don't know what the fuck those two mean. And Griffith survived. Burkett committed suicide right after, right? Because he thought he actually succeeded in killing uh, oh. Griffith. So he's like, I'm going to kill myself. Griffith donated 3,015 acres to the city of Los Angeles in December 1896. Afterwards, Griffith believed that his wife, Christina Mesmer, and the Pope were planning to kill him in means of poison, mostly because they were Catholic and he was a Protestant. When they would eat together, he would switch his dinner with hers when she wasn't looking. He eventually shot her in the face! In the face! (laughs) Right? While she was staying at the Arcadia Hotel in Santa Monica. She survived. However, she was severely disfigured and blind in one eye. And she, for the rest of her life, she had to wear a veil to cover her face. Truth. That's fucked up. Very fucked up. Very fucked up. So, Griffith, how many years do you think he served for shooting his wife in the face? None. Uh, close. Two years. Damn. Two years for shooting your fucking wife in the fucking face. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. Masculinity at its finest. Like, Jesus Christ. Um, Afterwards, he set up a trust fund to grow places like the Observatory and the Greek Theater. He died in 1919 and was buried at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. For more information about the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, please listen to episode one of our podcast. It's shit. Yeah, it's complete. We apologize for the sound quality in our previous podcast, but we encourage you to listen to them. Yeah. Just it, be warned, you shouldn't use headphones. Oh, yeah. It's it's other, it's complete utter shit. But, like, honestly, it has so much fucking information. So, enjoy. Right? Um, you can also laugh at us failing. Yeah, laugh at us. Other calamities of Griffith Park have been the fires of 1933, the fire of 1961, and of 2007. Also, there was an event in which a tree fell on a couple and killed them in 1976. And supposedly that picnic table is still haunted and supposedly that no one's removed the tree, which makes no fucking sense. And I don't really get that. Other calamities are the fact that in 2012, someone found a human head. Right? Actually, it was a dog that found a human head. The story was, was that he went into the, like, the bushes and, like, came back really proud of himself for finding a human head. Recently, 
uh, decomposed human body was found at the Ferndale entrance of Griffith Park. I just heard about that. Actually, Nikki's the one that told me about it. So. I tagged you on Facebook. Yeah. Oh, and haunting. People say they have seen Don Antonio Felice as well as Donna Petronilla haunt the lands of Griffith Park. Felice's ghost has supposedly crashed an 1898 party and Donna Petronilla has been seen roaming the lands around the old adobe building dressed in white. So, okay, so Griffith Park, this is really interesting, um, shameless self-promotion. I did my master's thesis at Cal State Northridge on the wisdom tree in, in Griffith Park. So I did a little bit of research on the history of Griffith Park, and I, too, had heard about the rock and the bench where the couple had been crushed because I was interviewing people about their experience with the wisdom tree, and they were telling me other weird things in Griffith Park, and... One guy I talked to said that the bench is there with the tree on it and that it exists and he had been there and he told me where it was. Yeah, I've seen photos of this bench, but like my logic behind it is like, why would no one remove the tree? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why would they be like, you know what? Let's take these bodies out, but let's leave the tree. The tree. (laughs) So Griffith Park, I've heard stories about the tree, but I've also heard that Bee Rock, and I've heard this from my parents. Parents. Apparently. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> I said, like, pet, and it kind of did that, and that's oh, why. Okay. Um, that's going to be our new intro. Yeah. I'd heard from my family, because they, you know, grew up doing stuff in Griffith Park, and I, they told me that B rock had been closed because so many people had committed suicide off of it. And I heard from other people, the same thing. So it's interesting that that's kind of uh, a common urban legend. I've literally never heard of B rock before. Really? Yeah. Never heard of it. Had you heard about the stories of the old zoo being haunted? I heard like you could hear monkey noises. So I hear a lot about the old zoo being a place for like Satanists to go because of course it is. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of, like, pentagrams and stuff painted, like, upside-down pentagrams. Yeah. But I feel like that's just teenagers doing teenage things. I feel the same. I feel like it's just some asshole teenager. Because I've been there before, and, like, it's just graffiti. <laughs> it's just graffiti and sadness for the animals that had to live in those tiny, tiny cages. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Crater Lake? I, like, I... Like the, I, I started thinking like when you were talking about Crater Lake, I thought it has probably like a, maybe it has some sort of connection to the Bermuda Triangle, you okay. know? Because uh, like scientists have been saying like, oh well, the Bermuda Triangle, the reason why everything keeps crashing there is because maybe like the magnetic fields and whatnot are like causing this sort of crashing, and like maybe it's the same thing with Crater Lake. I love the idea of aliens being connected to it. And then I also love the idea of maybe there's like a parallel universe connected to it. I think it's interesting, like the point about the pilot maybe confusing the blue water for sky, Mm. like maybe the reflection and the way the light hits it. Because if you, when you're at Crater Lake, there's this incredible quality to the water. It's just so blue and it's so the shades of blue are so diverse. It's like completely indescribable, but it's also like a really dark blue. So it'd be hard to imagine 
that it would look like the sky. Yeah. But it's interesting that, like, because of the reflection, maybe that messes with people's, like, maybe there's a magnetic force thing, and then visually it looks like sky, and they fly into it because it's reflecting sky. I have no idea. But, you know, two to three crashes a week seems like a lot for there not to be something going on. Yeah, there, that's what I was thinking about, like, magnetic shit. I'm, I mean, I'm not a scientist. Obviously, you could tell with how I'm talking. Uh, <laughs> but, like, the idea of it maybe, like, there's a magnetic pull that causes either the engine to stop or, like, something related to that would make perfect sense to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I also like the idea of, like, people missing because I always have, like, a great theory that, like, maybe the reason people are missing is because, like, they hit another universe like they hit another parallel dimension or something like that you know interesting um i listened to yet another plug for another great podcast criminal i listened to an episode of criminal where they were talking about the best way for people to fake their own death and oh, I heard that one too. That was so good. One of the best ways to fake your own death is to go into the wilderness and never come back because people assume that you were eaten by animals, that you fell and died, that something terrible happened, but they don't question it. Mm. And there, a body doesn't have to be found for you to be presumed dead. So, you know, I wonder if that might, because it is a national park. It is a very forested area. Oregon, especially like Western Oregon, is very dense. So people could probably disappear and end up in the middle of nowhere and start a new life. But I don't know. No, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. What do you think about um, the uh, witch wars? I mean, like, the thing is, the witch wars... First off, like the whole wait, which what was the witch wars? <laughs> the witch wars were the Eugene witches and the shamans casting spells against each oh, other. Oh yeah, that's like some weird like hippie shit from the nineties. It's like I Welcome could tell to Eugene. Honestly, I just think like you know, poor like Oregon in general is like stuck in the nineties, and I could just see some like just nineties kid being like, "I'm a witch. Ah, uh, I'm gonna say." like for welcome and then they're like oh you curse me it just seems really lame <laughs> i just feel like in general i've met a lot of people in eugene that are hyper friendly and i find it difficult to think that there would be some kind of turf war mm. between like the shamans and the pagans yeah uh, that seems a little far-fetched but i mean i, I don't know i'm not I'm not either of those things, so... And I, I know that people can kind of be assholes sometimes, so maybe some some bad shit went down, but I definitely was not um, persuaded by that Yeah. Well, I idea. Mean, the thing is, the turf war can make sense. I feel like every group of people would always fight over, like, hey, I want to be in the, you know community right, right. center at five and they're like no it's me but um like yeah i also think like the thing is is like religion everyone all religions tend to act like they're the best religion and yeah. so i i feel like no one would really be like mean you know yeah cool i don't know all right that was a really lame commentary on that one yeah <laughs> Uh, what do you think about the official witch of Los Angeles? 
I feel like she was a BAMF, for sure. Yeah, she uh, seems fucking cool! <laughs> um, for our listeners that are unaware of the term BAMF, it's badass motherfucker. Yeah. And I feel like that is probably what she was. I agree. I think she was, she seemed fucking cool. I was like, oh, there's like a really cool video that I was trying to like see how I could like put it on Instagram. But like, I really, she did a whole video on YouTube and I'm trying to figure out how I could put it on Instagram. So stand by listener. Record it with your phone and use a filter. Ooh, okay. Um, So do you have anything you want to declare? Um, I mean, do we have anything else to talk to announce? Um, the only thing I, uh, no, we don't really have anything to announce. I mean, like, we have an Instagram, we have a Twitter, we have an email. If, what? Do you want me to go through all of those again? No, we don't have to go through them. If you want to listen to it, like, the Twitter, the email, and the Instagram will be on this episode's info. Um, Please rate us and subscribe to our iTunes, because if you rate us and subscribe, we do really well in the iTunes world. Um, We're also on Google Play, and we're also on Podbean. Podbean, thank you. We're also on Podbean. Um... Uh, what else? What else? Anything else to declare? So wait, we are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, Google Play, and Gmail. Yes. So that is like nine ways that you can contact us, and we would love to hear from you. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, follow us, add us, like us, email us. Give us feedback. Rate us on iTunes. Definitely rate us. All right, guys. Okay, guys. Tread Tread carefully. carefully.